Kira Jacobs is an extroverted introvert who writes about love, humor, and mystery in the Midwest and beyond. This native Hoosier recently released book one in her latest romance series set in Bourbon Falls, Indiana, which follows three sisters as they find unexpected happily ever afters in their charming small town. You can find Once Upon a Beast and Kira's full backlist at kirajacobsbooks.com. Welcome to Mysteries to Die For. I'm T.G. Wolf, and I'm here with my mandolin-playing son, Jack, my piano player and producer. This is a podcast where we combine storytelling with original music to put you at the heart of a mystery. Episodes are structured to challenge you to beat the detective, and to be Jack, to the solution. These are arrangements, which means instead of word-for-word readings, you get a performance that's meant to be heard. Jack and I perform these live, front to back, no breaks, no fakes, no retakes, no matter how much I whine. Season 6 is again ad-free. I do this because I love mysteries, and Jack does it because he loves me. Jack may be a starving college student, but that's just because his stomach is bigger than his eyes. We do ask that you support the writers of our show. This week, it's Kira Jacobs. Check out her website and social, buy and read her stories, and help other readers find her. Make writing for Mysteries to Die For the best decision she could have made. In your review, tell her Tina and Jack said, The cat did it. This is Season 6, Things That Go Jack in the Night. This season contains truly imaginative mysteries around one of the most common words in the English language. From the brandy distilled from hard cider known as Applejack, to that nefarious one-eyed Jack, to the animals, vegetables, fruits, tools, weapons, and slang, the way the word Jack is used in the English language is truly unique, inventive, and, well, just too numerous numerous for me to count. And yes, it's also the name of my piano player and producer. For episode six, a jackass is the featured Jack. This is, when in doubt, Blame the Jackass by Kira Jacobs. A surprise visit from Keith. There were times when Charlene Young Stewart still struggled with the recent passing of her two favorite aunts. Ruthie and May were the kind of people she always looked up to, bold, sassy, and who lived life their way and their way alone. They left behind no offspring or spouses, only two nieces, Charlie and her sister Cynthia, Sin, Young, both of whom used to spend summers with their aunts. This spring, the nieces found themselves the lone recipient of the aunt's full inheritance, which include a sprawling property outside of Hamilton Shores, Indiana, that was full of surprises. An additional surprise showed up one Saturday in early November during yet another weekend spent sorting through Ruthie and May's possessions. Um, Charlie! The panic in her sister's voice had Charlie scrambling down the staircase and into the kitchen, where Sin stood petrified. What? What is it? That? Sin pointed a shaky finger toward the open window above the sink. Charlie stopped beside the kitchen table and planted a hand on her hip. Good Lord, Sin, if I raced all the way down here over another spider, a snort rang out. 
Confused, Charlie crept forward to spy a large, fuzzy gray muzzle nibbling greens from their aunt's window herb garden. Big brown eyes blinked lazily as she leaned forward to get a closer look. There was something strangely familiar about that zigzag-shaped scar over the left nostril. Keith, she whispered. The munching stopped and a soft snort rang out. Sin scurried to come stand behind Charlie, her petite frame trembling. Keith? Who the heck is Keith? The donkey outside the window tipped his head back and brayed. Charlie laughed. He is silly. Don't you remember? Ruthie and May never had a donkey, insisted Sin, her wary gaze not leaving their unexpected visitor. No, but they watched one for one of their friends once. Man, that had to have been almost 30 years ago. Charlie shook her head. I didn't think donkeys could live that long. That makes two of us, said Sin. What's he doing here? No idea, Charlie said. Watching him mosey his way from the windowsill to a nearby apple tree. But we should put him in the barnyard before he wanders off and gets hit by a car or something. As she made for the back door, Sin was hot on her heels. We can't keep him. I don't have any idea how to care for a donkey. Charlie shrugged. Me either. We'll call Maddie. He knows what to do. It took Sin running back inside to get a bunch of carrots, but eventually the sisters were able to lure old Keith into the fenced area beside Ruthie and May's old red barn. Once he was safe and secure, Charlie made the call to their longtime friend in the area, Deputy Matthew Maddie Hinkle. Maddie was a few years older than Charlie, but they'd run in the same circle of friends as the sisters when they stayed with their aunts. He answered on the third ring, the background noise reaching her before his voice did. You've got a what in your backyard? He hollered over the sound of traffic whizzing by. A donkey, yelled Charlie. I think it might be Keith. Soft cursing erupted on the other end. He must have knocked down Ralph Braun's fencing again. Has he damaged anything? Not that I know of, she said. We've got him corralled in the barnyard. Good. If you can wait a few hours, I've got an accident off of 427 I'm trying to clean up. A siren whooped one time in the background. Maddie's voice became muffled as he gave directions to someone, and then it became clear once again. If you want that donkey gone sooner, pay Ralph a visit. I'm sure he's home and worried sick about losing Keith again. Maddie gave her Ralph's address, which turned out to be only a few miles from the farm. She wished Maddie luck and then disconnected and asked Sin her preference. Without a pause, Sin made a beeline for Charlie's car and snapped her seatbelt in place. Five minutes later, they pulled up before a cute little farmhouse not unlike the aunt's place. Ralph's house had been painted a sunny yellow though, and half of its front porch was screened in. A modern pole barn stood in the short distance from the house, a breezeway built between the two structures. Ralph's yard was surrounded by a sea of browning skeletal remains of recently harvested soybean plants. Lovely view, murmured Sin, as the sisters made their way to Ralph's front door. Charlie, however, disagreed. She was sick of suburbia and staring out her window at the yard beside her, watching as her neighbors let their little yippy dog do its duty every morning, and then looked the other way as her doggy's duty landed in her yard. She'd take spent soybeans over that any day. On a shrug, she stepped up to the front door and gave it a knock, then another. Still no answer, so she reached to ring the doorbell, then paused. There were two. 
One, the normal looking small circular buzzer kind, and one of those new security camera doorbells. She tried each, but still no one came. After another minute, they left the porch and walked around the house to see if he might be in the backyard on the lookout for Keith. Mr. Braun, are you out here? called Charlie. Sin pointed toward the pool barn. Its side door was hanging open. Let's check in there. On a nod, Charlie led the way. Mr. Braun, she called, stepping inside. The layout was simple. Three stalls on one side of the barn, an open area on the other side for shelving and storage. At the far end stood an office, its door open and light on. God, it smells like something crawled in here and died, Sin said, lifting the collar of her t-shirt up and over her nose. Yes, they were city kids, and no, they really weren't used to the smell of farms. But Sin was right. The smell in here was downright rank. Charlie looked to Sin and whispered, Yeah, Ralph needs some serious Febreze or some... The sentence died on her tongue as she spied a pair of legs on the floor up ahead in stall number two, workman's boots on the feet. The heels pointed to one another, the toes in opposite directions. Either Ralph was practicing barn yoga without a mat, or something was terribly wrong. She nudged Sin, who'd been looking in the opposite direction. Oh no, Sin whispered, releasing the shirt mask as she hurried forward. Charlie raced after her, but there'd been no need to hurry. Mr. Braun was quite dead. Stiffs and Sobbing Spouses By the time Maddie arrived on the scene, paramedics had already confirmed that Ralph had been dead for some time. Charlie and Sin were outside perched on the steps of the house, neither of their stomachs agreeable to the smell of death. The whole rigor mortis thing had freaked them both out too. At least when Bradley Buchanan had died in their driveway last month, it happened when they were both there and Charlie had been trying to revive him. He'd still been mm, pliable. But Ralph, well, they found him stiff as a board and with an old hoof mark in the side of his forehead. Well, Charlie asked Maddie if they'd gone inside the barn and had a look around. He came to stand beside them, scratching the stubble on his cheek. At first glance, we're calling it death by donkey. Sin shivered. And you made fun of me for freaking out because he was right outside our kitchen window. Had I known he was a killer donkey, I sure as heck wouldn't have helped you lure him into the fenced area with those carrots. Charlie shook her head and frowned. I just can't believe Keith did this. Or that Ralph didn't know better than to stand where he could be kicked. I'm inclined to agree, said Maddie, his gaze shifting from the cute little barnyard before them to the house. What I'd really love to do is to go inside and have a look around. But we've got to wait on the warrant. I guess that means I have time to notify next of kin. Mr. Braun had a family? asked Charlie. Maddie shrugged. Sort of. Ralph was single most of his life. He loved this farm and Keith more than anything. He tried doing the marriage thing, but, well, let's just say he didn't get the happily ever after he hoped for. Stacy packed up and moved out about nine months ago. As if on cue, a beat-up old-school blazer came tearing down the main road and turned into the drive, kicking up gravel and a large cloud of dust. The vehicle had barely come to a stop before the passenger door flew open and a wide-eyed, roly-poly, red-headed woman hit the ground running. 
Where is he? Where is my Ralphie? The sisters exchanged a look. They joked in the past that Hamilton Shore's rumor mill moved faster than fact. Today, the two speeds were nearly neck and neck. Maddie stepped forward to speak to Stacy, his voice soft and calm. Upon hearing the news that her estranged husband was dead, Stacy collapsed into a blubbering, wailing mess. Only once that happened did the driver of the beat-up blazer exit the vehicle. He looked like a red-headed shaggy from Scooby-Doo, lanky and wearing a dull green shirt and baggy jeans. The guy moved about as fast as Shaggy from the show and moseyed his way over to the sobber. She reached for him, her son they soon deducted, and hung on for dear life as the sobs continued. She sure's crying an awful lot for an estranged wife, Sin murmured, pretending not to be looking at the drama unfolding before them. Agreed, said Charlie. Wonder who tipped them off? Soon, Maddie was helping sobbing Stacy off the ground and, together with her son, they all went to see the deceased. Charlie wandered closer to the pole barn side door to listen in. Oh, my poor Ralph, Stacy was saying, her voice less wavery than before. I always warned him that jackass would be the death of him, but did he listen to me? Nope, answered her son. Looks like he was the jackass in the end. Flynn! said his mother sharply. We don't speak ill of the dead. Charlie made her way back to Sin as the trio exited the barn, Maddie explaining the steps to be taken with the body. Stacy dabbed a tissue at her rimmed red, red rimmed eyes, while Shaggy, aka Flynn, stood beside her, looking bored out of his mind. But just as the mother-son duo started from the farmhouse, Maddie stepped forward to block their path. Sorry, folks, he said but you won't be able to go inside until we finish our investigation. Investigation, Stacy demanded. Into what? My husband died in that barn. You saw the hoof print. Maddie nodded. I did, but there are a few other items we need to check on before evidence has the chance to be disturbed. Until then, all the buildings on this property are part of my crime scene and are not to be tampered with. Stacy's eyes narrowed. This is my house. I decide if I stay or go. Maddie offered her a polite smile. Actually, ma'am, this was Ralph's house. Your name was never on the deed. It's also my understanding that you haven't been living here for several months. Months. So I will say it again. Until we have concluded our investigation, these premises are off limits. Though, if you're looking for something to do in the meantime, you might want to check in with Frank Hoopenlauter. He's the attorney for half of our town, and I'd be willing to bet that he's got Ralph's will on file. Well, the color in Stacy's cheeks nearly matched that of her hair. But rather than explode like Charlie, wor Charlie worried she would, the woman spun on her heel and marched back to the blazer, Shaggy following after her. They climbed into the SUV, and with the renewed roar of a holy muffler, barreled on down the road. Sin looked from the fresh cloud of dust to Maddie. So, if this is a crime scene now, does that mean you don't think the donkey did it? I don't know, he said. Won't know for sure until the coroner performs his autopsy. Until then, I'm treating it as a murder, and we'll start dusting for prints. Did you ladies touch anything before I arrived? They both shook their heads. Good, said Maddie. Let's keep it that way. You all head back to Ruthie and May's place, and I'll let you know when I know more. But, but what about Keith? asked Sin, wide-eyed. Charlie said you know what to do with him. 
Maddie rubbed the back of his neck. I'll make some calls and see if anyone else around here has room to keep him. Until then, can he stay with you two? I can bring some feed over later, after we're done here. As Sin shook her head, Charlie offered Maddie a grin. How about we agree to keep Keith if you let me tag along on another investigation? Charlie, her sister cried. Maddie, on the other hand, returned the grin. Deal. Death by donkey or not? As promised, Maddie brought them donkey feed and a big shovel from mucking later that evening. He also gave them a quick update about his crime scene work, which hadn't turned up much after the warrant arrived, except several sets of fingerprints on both the pole barn and front doors. Nothing inside. The house appeared to be disturbed, so if something had happened to Ralph, the scene wasn't reading like a robbery. Keith, he was happy to be fed, and Charlie was happy with the update. Sin, however, wasn't happy with any of it. I'm heading home, she said, scowling at the four-legged yard guest. Call me when that evil beast is gone. Thankfully, Charlie found a kind neighbor with a few, f a few farms over the next day who was willing to house Keith until more permanent arrangements could be made. The autopsy report, however, took a week more. Maddie stopped back by the farm the following weekend to share its surprising results with them. After rambling for several minutes using all sorts of legal and medical terms, he took in their blank expressions and said, What that means is, Keith the donkey didn't kill Ralph. A heart attack did. See, Charlie elbowed her sister, I told you Keith wasn't a killer. Sin frowned. Okay, but he still kicked the poor guy in the head. Maybe that was what caused the heart attack. Maddie shook his head. Nope. According to the autopsy, the head injury was sustained after he was already dead, probably several hours later. He flipped through the report and then added, The coroner thinks he died on Friday, November 2nd, between 5 and 6 in the evening. It's crazy they can figure all that out after the fact, said Charlie. Maddie nodded. We have a very talented team, but there's more. In addition to the heart attack, they found carpet fibers under his fingernails, not dirt. Well, I don't remember there being any carpet in the barn, said Sin. Correct, Maddie said, and there's even a more bizarre part. There were fresh scuff marks across the back of his boot heels. Charlie's eyes widened. Wait, do you think someone dragged him into the barn and staged it to look like Keith killed him? Maddie nodded. It's a definite possibility. Man, that's messed up, said Sin. Maybe you should try and check Ralph's security camera for that night. He had one of those doorbell cameras on his front door. That's right, he did, said Charlie. Maddie frowned, flipping through his paperwork. I had our new guy Sam do an assessment of the exterior while Joe and I checked inside. He didn't note anything about a security camera. Well, we can show you where it is if you like, said Charlie. Maddie tipped his head to the door on a nod. The trio piled into his cruiser and headed over to Ralph's place. Charlie noticed it looked exactly like it had a week ago, minus the extra emergency vehicles and personnel. But the place where the security camera doorbell had been was now a bare spot on the door's wooden frame. On closer inspection, the two holes for its mounting screws had been hastily filled in with white toothpaste. 
Somebody doesn't want you to see that footage, Sin said, gaze scanning the countryside around them while hugging her midsection. Well, whoever it was was sloppy, said Maddie. They took off with the camera but forgot to wipe the doorknobs clean before the warrant arrived. His gaze met Charlie's. You know what that means, don't you? She grinned. I get to tag along for suspect interviews again? He nodded. Bingo. And this time, I'll let you take the notes. Donkey haters gotta hate. After confirming there were no other security cameras on the property, of course they couldn't get that lucky, Maddie took the sisters home and made plans to come back for Charlie after lunch the next day. In the meantime, he planned to get permission to look through the house again, this time for any hint as to the whereabouts or history of the missing security camera. Any luck finding the camera? Charlie asked when he picked her up the next day. Maddie shook his head. No, but I found what might be the box it came in. Ralph had a whole closet of boxes in his den, all original packaging from everything from ballpoint pens to cookware and electronics. Every single one of them empty. Charlie shrugged. Hey, a good box can be hard to come by. Maddie gave her a dubious look. Well, I never would have thought all that junk could be useful, but it gave me a place to start. I've got to call in a customer's support to see if we can find his account. Awesome, said Charlie. So you never did say whose fingerprints were found out there. I'm assuming that's the list we'll start with for the interviews? Maddie nodded. Correct. Aside from Ralph's prints, we found those of four other individuals. Stacy Braun, her son, Flynn Castor, Ralph's neighbor, Harold Rogers, and a local land developer, Blake Livingston. Blake Livingston, said Charlie. The others make sense, I guess, but Blake? Was Ralph thinking about selling his farm? Maddie shrugged. No idea, but I know Blake's company had been slowly gobbling up land out this way. Wouldn't surprise me if they had some conversations about it. Our office has gotten several complaints about him over the years, trying to verbally strong our landowners into selling. That had better not be the case again or Blake and I are gonna have words. But we'll start with Harold and see what he knows. Well, Harold, as it turned out, was a man of few words. He also looked to be just shy of 137 years old. A battered old ball cap sat atop his head and crow's feet at his eyes ran deep through the sun-weathered skin. Rather than inviting them in, he stepped out onto the porch and eased into a worn rocking chair. His back was hunched and his steps slow with a slight limp. Charlie and Maddie exchanged a look. No way this rickety old man could have dragged Ralph from his house into the barn, not by himself anyway. From their ensuing and brief conversation, Maddie and Charlie learned that Harold had lived next to Ralph for the better part of 50 years. They got along, mostly, but Keith the donkey was a nuisance and regularly found his way into Harold's small apple orchard. Both Harold and Ralph had been approached numerous times by Blake Livingston this year who seemed bent on acquiring their properties to make way for a proposed residential development. Several of their other neighbors had already caved to his offers and sold. Last they spoke, which had been the prior Sunday, Ralph told Harold he'd sell to Livingston, quote, over my dead body. Harold was of the same mindset. 
Mrs. Braun, however, had been nagging Ralph to sell. Ralph also mentioned that Mrs. Braun's juvenile delinquent, Harold's words, not Maddie's, had paid Ralph a visit Friday evening around dinner time. Harold knew this because Flynn's blazer always drove too fast and kicked stone into Harold's yard. The blazer passed by again a short while later, but Harold hadn't checked the time. When asked if he knew of a security camera on Ralph's front door, Harold snorted and said, he just thought the damned idiot was showing off his insurance payout by putting a second doorbell in. The lucky bastard had been the only barn on their road to get hit by a twister the last summer. Insurance payout, asked Charlie, after they'd gotten back to the cruiser. Well, that could explain the newer looking pool barn. I wonder how much of the money he has left. Maddie shrugged. It's tough to say. Though if he spent it all on donkeys and none on the missus, maybe that's why she decided to leave him. They headed to see Flynn next, hoping to kill two birds with one stone, as that was where Stacy had reportedly been living since separating from Ralph. His tiny bungalow was the least well-maintained on the street, its grass unevenly cut, and the trim on its windows chipped and peeling. Two vehicles sat in its badly broken concrete drive, the beater blazer and a late model burgundy Chevy Malibu. Flynn answered the door while his mother remained seated in a recliner across the room. Neither appeared happy to see Maddie and Charlie, but Flynn invited them inside anyway. The home's interior design scheme, well, it matched that of the exterior, unmotivated bachelor. The furniture was mismatched, no two pieces the same. An open can of Mountain Dew sat on the end table beside Flynn's recliner a glass of what looked like iced tea on the one beside Stacy. My condolences again for your loss, said Maddie, as he and Charlie took seats on the offered faded plaid sofa. And while it first appeared to have been an accident in the barn that killed your estranged husband, the autopsy results indicate that Ralph actually died of a heart attack. Stacy's hand flew to her substantial chest. My heavens, it must have been all that bacon. Ralph had it with every meal. I warned him he needed to slow down on it after his last physical, didn't I, Flynn? Flynn, whose attention was fixed on his cell phone in his hand, offered a grunt in response. Stacy reached for a fresh tissue and dabbed the corner of her eyes, which were neither glimmering nor red-rimmed. And then for that stupid donkey to go and kick him while he was down, how terrible. It's a good thing that jackass is missing, or I'd have a right mind to put the animal down. Charlie opened her mouth to defend poor Keith and received a subtle no nudge, toe nudge from Maddie. Message received. She ducked her head and resumed taking notes. Maddie cleared his throat. Mrs. Braun, can you tell me the last time you spoke with your estranged husband? I wish you wouldn't call him that, she said demurely. Ralphie and I were beginning to patch things up. Why, just last week we discussed attending counseling. Maddie offered her a placating smile. And the last time you spoke to him was? Stacy's lips pursed as she thought back. Last, last Wednesday, I believe. Of course, you can confirm by checking Ralph's doorbell camera. Charlie made sure to note that Mrs. Braun knew about the doorbell. Interestingly enough, Maddie didn't mention it gone missing. I'll certainly look into that, said Maddie. Flynn, can you tell us the last time you spoke to your stepfather? Flynn didn't look up from his screen. Last Wednesday, same as Ma. I drove her over there and listened to them argue for an hour. 
It was productive arguing, Stacy added with a smile. Best discussion we had in weeks. Maddie nodded, again placating the woman. In addition to determining the cause of death was a heart attack, the coroner also believes your late husband passed away sometime Friday evening, not on Saturday as we previously believed. So I'll need to know where you both were between 5 and 9 p.m. on Friday, November the 2nd. Just for paperwork purposes, of course. Of, of course, Stacy said, sitting up taller. I was in town visiting with my sister. She rattled off the woman's name and address with Charlie dutifully jotted down. The street she listed was just north of downtown, in a neat and tidy neighborhood. Thank you, said Maddie. And you, Flynn? Working, he said, actually looking up from his screen this time to meet Maddie's gaze. I deliver pizzas for marinara on Main every weekend from three to close. Ask my boss. He'll confirm I was there. Maddie thanked them for the time and then rose to leave. Stacy remained seated and quietly chided Flynn to get off his ass and see their guest to the door. Charlie was glad to trade Flynn's house for the clean and orderly cruiser. I'm not buying either of their stories or alibis, said Charlie. Maddie studied the house for a moment before starting the engine. I'll definitely be following up to confirm their statements, but if Flynn was delivering pizzas, how did Harold see his card racing up the road? Charlie shrugged. Maybe Ralph ordered carry out. Another question to ask Flynn's boss, I suppose, said Maddie. He steered them to the last stop for the day, a gorgeous three-story home tucked into the side of a hill on one of Hamilton Short's prime lakefront properties. A two-car garage with a third bay bump out formed an L-shape with the house making good use of the narrow lot. Neatly pruned trees and shrubs dotted the property. A lighted flagstone path extended from the front door around a massive deck and wove its way down to the lake. Either Blank Livingston was doing really well or he was up to his eyeballs in death, or maybe a little of both. Blake didn't answer when they knocked, but his garage door went up just as Maddie and Charlie were about to return to the cruiser. They watched as the Land Rover pulled into one of the garage's only empty bays. Blake stepped out a moment later, frowning. Please do not tell me that those neighbor kids are vandalizing our piers again. Not that I'm aware of, said Maddie. We're actually here to ask you a few questions about Ralph Braun, hoping we can have a few minutes of your time. Blake looked to his watch, a Rolex which he held out for all to see. We'll have to make it quick. Sundays are busy for me, between open houses and showings. What do you need to know? Maddie wasted no time gathering what they needed from Blake. According to the real estate mogul, Ralph was a stubborn old farmer who didn't know an opportunity when it was staring at him in the face. Ralph had been offered double what his farm was worth, but the man refused to budge. The last time Blake had gone to see him, he heard what sounded like kitchen, kitchen dishes shattering and worried somebody had gotten hurt, so he tried to let himself in. Ralph was standing in the kitchen amid a minefield of broken porcelain, rubbing his chest. He saw who had come inside, said he was fine, and ordered Blake away. As Blake was leaving, Mrs. Braun and her son pulled into the drive. He tried appealing to their intelligence and gave them his business card in case the family changed their mind about his offer. They seemed far more interested in his offer than Mr. Braun did. That was two weeks ago, and he hadn't been back since. 
Yeah, I saw his security camera doorbell, Blake said when he asked, shaking his head. I don't know why people don't remove the other doorbell when they install those. They always look so tacky. I figured it was there to keep an eye on that donkey of his. I hear it gets loose all the time. Maddie smiled. I'll have to remember that if I ever decide to get one. Just one more question, Mr. Livingston. What does your company stand to lose if Mr. Braun and his neighbors choose not to sell their land to your company? Well, Blake's frown deepened. Not as much as him and the others stand to lose. Those morons don't make piddle farming what little crops they do. We've offered them well above and beyond what they could ever get on the open market. Can we still develop the land around them? Sure, but mark my words, when we rescind our offers, they'll be sorry they didn't jump aboard when they had the chance. And he sure as hell better keep that donkey out of our new subdivisions. The donkey has been relocated, said Maddie, as Mr. Braun recently passed. Blake's jaw dropped. Like, as in dead? Yes, Maddie said, though we're still trying to determine the exact circumstances. Tell me, Mr. Livingston, where were you between 5 and 9 p.m. last Friday, November 2nd? Oh, Blake paled. I was, was home. His gaze darted to the side. Alone. Maddie thanked Blank for his time and then climbed into the cr cruiser with Charlie. Home alone, huh? said Charlie. How convenient. Oh, I highly doubt he was alone, said Maddie on a laugh. But that's a conversation for another day. Hungry? She nodded. Good, said Maddie, because we've got a lot to review and I can't think on an empty stomach. Damn those alibis. Charlie suggested they get takeout and take it back to the farmhouse so they could sit down with Sin and review all they learned through the day. They called in a pizza order from Mar Marinara on Maine, intending to verify Flynn's alibi while they were there, and with time to kill, decided to make a quick stop at Stacy's sister's house. No one was home, but a curious neighbor came outside and relayed that the sister was out of town for work. They also admitted to seeing a ratty old blazer in the driveway for most of Friday evening. Thinking they were about to catch Flynn in a lie, they headed next to Marinara on Main along the way. While Charlie paid for the pizza, Maddie had a few words with Flynn's boss. When he met her at the cruiser, though, Maddie had a perplexed look on his face. Well, asked Charlie, what did she say? Maddie buckled his seatbelt, frowning at the windshield. He confirmed Flynn was working that night, said Maddie, but there were no records of any orders received from Ralph Street or those surrounding it, and they were busy enough that he wouldn't have had time to drive out there in between runs without somebody noticing the delay. They drove the next few miles in silence, each mulling over this latest piece of evidence. How is that even possible? Sin asked back at the farmhouse. The trio had made a substantial dent in the pizza as Charlie had read her notes back from the day. Flynn is working, and yet his blazer is seen parked over at his aunt's house? Charlie dropped a slice of pizza on her plate as a new idea hit her. Maddie, did you ask Flynn's boss which vehicle he was driving Friday night? At his head shake, she continued, there were two cars parked in Stacy's driveway, the blazer and a newer Malibu. 
You're right, he said, which means if Flynn was driving his mother's car at work Friday, it was Stacy who paid Ralph a visit before going to her sister's house. Man, you really need to get the footage from that security camera, said Sin, around a bite of pizza. Maddie tipped his head to one side. Sin, you're good with computers. If I can get approval from my boss, do you think you could help us get into Ralph's home computer and find a way to access his security camera account? Sin shrugged. Yeah, no prob. What if you don't find the evidence you need on there, asked Charlie. There, there's never a guarantee we will. A slow smile blossomed over Maddie's face. But I think I just came up with a way to trick the culprit into stepping forward without it. Sin, I'll call you tomorrow if I get approval. I'd still love to see what's on that feed. Charlie, keep your Thursday evening open. I'm going to need your help with my plan. She gave him a wary look. Am I going to be playing the bait again? Nope, he said. This time, you'll be a member of the audience. It's your favorite part, Jack. It's the deliberation. Oh, I thought you were going to say time to smoke crack. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Where did you come up with that one? Who knows, man? I told you guys, he is a starving college student. He needs food and caffeine, yeah. not crack. I thought you were going to say, well, the reason he can't pay for food is because he spends it all on... Anyway, <laughs> I do not do crack. Anyway, no. I, feel, I feel the need to disclose that. I think um, you should. <laughs> so who's the suspects? Okay, so <clears throat> the Misfortune Sisters can't resist a mystery um, any more than they can help with their crystal ball. So here's who Ralph's looking at, or Charlie's looking at, for Ralph Braun's untimely death. Stacy Braun the estranged wife, the sobbing, I can't believe he's gone. Estranged wife estranged who apparently wife. argues every time he talks to him, yep. even if it's constructive arguing. Yeah, I don't know that there's, is there such I a don't thing? Know. I, th yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know if he would even consider it constructive yeah. arguing. Anyway. Flynn Caster, Stacy's son by her first husband, otherwise known as Shaggy, a.k.a. Deadbeat, <laughs> All right. even though Shaggy's not a deadbeat. Harold Rogers, Ralph's grumpy neighbor, who's pretty much had it with, you know, Keith coming next door, and Blake Livingston, the local land developer. I feel like it's not, I think it's just got to be Stacy. You want some of the clues? Give me the clues. Keith the donkey shows up at the Misfortune Sisters farm and points them to Ralph Braun, who is dead with a hoof print on his forehead. His favorite donkey, Keith, is accused of killing him. The autopsy shows Ralph died of a heart attack. Mm -hmm. It also revealed carpet fibers under his nails and fresh marks on his boot heels. He died Friday night between 5 and 6. Fingerprints inside the house were found for all of our suspects, Stacy, Flynn, Harold, and Blake. All right. All right, so Stacy and Ralph are estranged. She says they were working on it. Charlie doesn't buy it. And Stacy says that she was at her sister's house when Ralph died. The okay. Na neighbor says that the sister was out of town. Uh, interesting. Ralph says that he was working delivering pizzas when Ralph died. And his boss confirmed that he was working. Okay. Harold spent many a year dealing with the four-legged frequent escapee, although not that particular time. 
and Blake made Ralph a very nice offer on his land. Ralph rejected it flatly. Blake claims it's not going to stop the project going forward, but he seemed pretty excited that Stacy was interested in it. And now the dude is dead, Ralph. And now the dude is dead. All right. Well, I feel like the real estate agent doesn't care enough. Like, you care way too much about your job if you're going to kill to get a little bit of lousy land for some development, dude. I mean, you already got a lot of land. And he claims that he can develop around it. And it'll fold eventually anyway. Yeah. So I don't think I buy him doing it. Uh, I, Stacy has like everything built up against her. Her alibi is gone. Mm-hmm. You know, she wasn't with her sister. She could have been house sitting, but that's not a thing in this universe. Um, you know, he was driving a different car theoretically we don't know that for sure but it's it would make sense in this context Mm -hmm. uh so she would have been the one to drive there uh yeah i think it's just him flynn we haven't heard much of him he does he seems to be interested but like he said three words the whole story so he doesn't seem to have much motivation if he had anything to do with it it seems like it would be at his mother's direction there'd be no reason for him to kill for money that he's probably not going to get yeah or if he does he'll get it in proxy you know so i'm gonna go with old stacer okay old staples so i want to remind mystery readers to check out our print and ebooks uh this season's companion book is now available and it's uh available along with season four a word for dying and season five move it or lose it ebooks and paid trip and ebooks and trade paperback however you prefer to read are available from online retailers the dimes and quarters from book sales do support the podcast and they also keep jack in ramen noodles and stickers for his laptops all right so now let's go into to the jackass goes the spoils Per Maddie's instructions, Charlie arrived at Frank Hoopenlaller's law office in downtown Hamilton Shores just before 6 o'clock Thursday evening. Apparently, Frank would be reading Ralph Braun's will. Though, why Maddie wanted Charlie there was beyond her. She assumed it was to take notes, so she made sure to pack a pen and fresh notepad. Plus, she was dying to know just how much Stacy may or may not be inheriting, seeing as their marriage was on the rocks and all. Charlie felt a moment of deja vu walking into Frank's meager but elegantly trimmed office, having been here for the reading of her aunt's wills earlier this spring. It looked the same as before, a beautiful mahogany desk and matching bookcase taking up one side of the room, and a jewel-toned velveteen low-back chairs and love seats for his clients and guests on the other side. This time, however, she took a seat near the back. A few minutes later, Harold Rogers entered the room, slowly. He offered her a nod of acknowledgement, then took a seat closer to the desk. Frank was the next to enter, his shock of white hair expertly slicked back. He made sure to exchange pleasantries to everyone present, always the professional. Charlie had to hide a grin as she watched him talking with Harold. She'd always thought Mr. Hoopenlaller looked old, and the man was in his late 70s. But standing next to Harold, he looked like quite the spring chicken. 
At five past six, Stacy and Flynn finally graced the others with their presence. Both wore all black, though Flynn's was of the continent denim variety. Stacy waved off help from Frank's secretary as she scurried into the room, an unbuttoned cardigan flapping at her sides as she moved. Flynn's longer legs moved slower, but covered a greater distance with each stride. He dropped into the seat beside his mother, already looking bored. Only after the two were seated, in the seats directly before Frank, did Stacy bother to look around the room. Charlie received a narrow gaze, as did Harold. Frank tipped his head to his secretary, who politely offered them a smile and stepped out to the parlor, closing the door behind her. A moment of silence descended upon the room, and then Frank cleared his voice. <clears throat> Thank you all for coming tonight, he said, his words smooth and tempo slow and melodic. It is my intention to perform a reading of Ralph Maximilian Braun's last will and testament. My deepest condolences for your loss. Thank you, said Stacy, dabbing her yet dry eyes with the tissue from her never-ending supply. My poor, poor Ralphie. We miss him so. The waterworks began then, accompanied by a handful of high-pitched sobs. Jesus, woman, get yourself together, murmured Harold. Amen, thought Charlie, Charlie stifling an eye roll. Stacy ignored the peanut gallery comment, but dialed back the tears when she noticed Frank waiting to read until the sobbing had ceased. When he was satisfied that she had indeed gotten herself together, he began the reading, droning his way through the front-end legalese. Flynn's knee started bouncing in a few sentences. His mother's knee did the same. And now, the directives given to me by Ralph last spring, while he was in good health and clarity of mind. To my neighbor, Harold Rogers, I leave you my antique tractor collection. It was you who inspired me to begin the collection. Use it however you will. Scowls and grumbling were shared in the front row. From what Charlie could tell, Ralph's darling wife had no prior knowledge of the collection or its potential value. A frown settled on her brow. To the estate of Ruth and May Young, I believe my, I leave my beloved donkey, Keith. He was yours in the beginning, and I think it's only fair you have him in the end. Frank paused, his bushy white eyebrows rising over the bifocals as he sh his gaze shifted to Charlie. Charlene, as you are the executor of Ruthie and May's estate, it is you who shall inherit Mr. Keith. Charlie nodded, wishing her aunts were still here to fill around in the full story behind good old Keith. She had no idea they'd given him to Ralph. Knowing Ruthie and May, the story was surely a good one. Unfortunately, she wasn't sure what they would do with Keith, only that Sin would not be happy to hear the news. Charlie's smile dimmed as she caught Stacy and Flynn snickering at her portion of the inheritance. Frank cleared his throat once more, silencing the front row. And the rest of my possessions I leave to Keith. Stacy's jaw dropped. What? Mr. Hoopenlotter gave Mrs. Brown a warning look and then continued. As the one creature on this planet who has always supported and understood me, I feel it only appropriate to leave you with enough money and resources to live a long and happy life. The fool, sneered Stacy, her crocodile tears gone. That jackass has been missing for a week. He's probably gotten eaten by coyotes. 
clearly I would receive the unclaimed portion then, being as I'm his wife. Frank silently read a moment before shaking his head. I'm sorry, Mrs. Braun, but there's nothing in here mentioning you or your son. In regards to the unfortunate disappearance of Keith, Ralph did add a clause in here that upon Keith's passing, his donkey's portion of the will was to be auctioned off and the proceeds donated to the Hamilton Humane Society. Well, Stacy's face got red and redder and redder. Charlie leaned away, knowing an explosion was inevitable. One second more, and Mount Stacy blew her top. That idiot, good-for-nothing, worthless disgrace of a husband. I can't believe after all these years we've been married and all the good times we had that he didn't leave me a single thing. Mrs. Mr. Hoopenlauder set the will down and folded his hands atop the desk. It does appear that way, man. Well, mark my words, you'll be hearing from my attorney. Stacy rose abruptly and shoved Flynn to get him moving and out of her way. The duo exited stage left. Flynn looking both mad and bored, now with Stacy hot on his trail, stomping after him. Charlie excused herself and followed discreetly after them out the front door. I told you he'd never come off of that money, Flynn was saying as they rounded the front corner of the building. Had I known that, Stacy replied, venom in her voice, I would have gone back inside and forced him to sign the divorce papers before leaving him to die. Charlie froze, her back against the building and hidden from view. Good thing we got rid of that camera, said Flynn. But what now? Car doors creaked open. We go find that damn jackass. Who's to say if we're caring for the dumb animal that we can't help make some financial decisions on his behalf? Maddie's voice joined the party. Would those decisions have anything to do with selling the farm to Blake Livingston's company? Charlie did a silent fist pump and then peeked around the corner of the building. Sure enough, Maddie was there with his partner, Joe, each on either side of Flynn's blazer. Ralph was an idiot not to take the offer Blake made us, cried Stacy. Ask anyone. Maddie shook his head. You mean the offer Blake made to Ralph? I was his wife. What's his was mine, spat Stacy. And it still will be once I get my lawyer involved. Something glistened in Maddie's hand beneath the glow of the overhead parking lights. That call can be made from the station. Mrs. Stacy Braun, you're under arrest for negligent homicide. Flynn Castor, you're under arrest as an accessory to that crime. Voices rose and threats were made until Maddie withdrew a small electronic device from his back pocket. If you really didn't want anyone seeing your mother threaten and leave your stepfather to die in the midst of a heart attack, you should have picked somewhere else other than your locker at work to hide a security camera. Stacy looked to her son wide-eyed and smacked him upside the back of his head. I'm surrounded by morons! Rights were read, much arguing and posturing made, and eventually the mother-son duo were stuffed into the back of Maddie's cruiser. Before leaving, though, he strode over to thank Charlie for participating in tonight's little charade. Wait, you mean Keith didn't just inherit everything, she asked? Maddie grinned. No, we had Frank work up a fake will. Stacy inherited a little something, but won't have access to it after what she's done. Wow, nice work. You guys totally fooled me, said Charlie, walking with Maddie toward the parking lot. I can't wait to tell Sin. She'll be so relieved not to have inherited Keith the donkey. <laughs> Maddie laughed. Well, 
I hate to break it to you, Charlie, but that part was true. The end. Yep, so yeah, Stacy did it. With the help of her deadbeat son, who somehow figured out how to skirt the rules at work. You had to figure when he was delivering pizza that that created a lot of space for an alibi. So you want to learn about jackasses? Yes. Okay, so let's go to my favorite source, Wikipedia. The domestic donkey is a hoofed animal in the same family as the horse. It derives from the African wild ass and was domesticated in Africa some 5,000 to 7,000 years ago. And somehow they estimate that there are more than 40 million donkeys in the world that are principally used as draft or pack animals. The adult male donkey is a jack or a jackass. And the adult female is a Jenny or I, I don't know if this other version is pronounced Jeanette or Janae. J-E-N-N-E-T. Um, I just lost my spot by looking up at you. Um, jacks are often made in, mated with female horses to produce mules. And apparently there's a less common hybrid of a male horse and a jenny. At one time, ass was the more common term for the donkey. The first recorded use of donkey was in the late 1700s. From the 18th century forward, donkey gradually replaced ass, and Jenny was replaced. And Jenny replaced she ass. S H E dash A S S. She ass, <laughs> which is now considered archaic. The change may have come about through a tendency to avoid um, swear words in speech, and may be comparable to the substitution in North American English of using rooster for cock. Um, and apparently there's another example of a rabbit was formerly known as a cunny, which when you spell it differently but pronounce it the same is slang for a special part of a woman's anatomy. So donkeys can vary in size from uh, about three feet tall to about 60 inches tall, which is how tall I am, so that's awesome. Um, donkeys can have life expectancies. It really varies with where they live. Um, when they're, you know, not well fed and all that, it's 12 to 15 years. If they're more, more well taken care of, as I was going to say more better taken care of, that's not good English, then they can live 30 to 50 years. Um, so I wondered, you know, we use the term jackass all the time to refer to a stupid person. So I was more curious about how that this hardworking animal got turned into a slam. And it says, I was on a website called conversation.com, and it said by the 1820s, jackass was commonly being used to describe a stupid person. So here was a couple uses of it. Um, in 1820, Kentucky Congressman Henry Clay uh, went to Mass was with Massachusetts Congre Congressman Daniel Webster. Clay was sitting outside a Washington, D.C. hotel with Webster when a man walked by with a pack of mules. And Webster said, hey, Clay, there goes a number of your Kentucky constituents. Yeah, Clay replied, they must be on their way to Massachusetts to teach school. <laughs> it's pretty funny. 
Mark Twain, he defended the jackass. He thought comparing men uh, and politicians in particular to jackasses was unfair to the jackasses. He wrote, concerning the difference between men and the jackass, some observers hold that there isn't any, but this wrongs the jackass. In his 1894 novel, Put in, he Put in Head Wilson, Twain wrote, there is no character, whoever good and fine, but it can be destroyed by ridicule, howsoever poor and witless. Observe the ass, for instance. His character is about perfect. He is the choicest spirit among the humbler animals, and yet we see what ridicule has brought to him. Instead of feeling complimented when we are called an ass, we are left in doubt. I have links in the show notes to both of those sources. So yeah, it totally feels like the the donkey slash ass slash jackass gets the short end of the stick there. So next time somebody calls you a jackass, be like, thank you very much. I know I am. <laughs> Maybe not. Jack's really into his groove. <laughs> so about our author today, Kira Jacobs. So as I said at the beginning, that Kira is an extroverted introvert who writes of love, humor, and mystery in the Midwest and beyond. When the Hoosier native isn't pounding out scenes for her next book, she's likely outside elbow deep in snapdragons or spending quality time with her sports-loving friends. Kira also loves to read, tries to golf, and is an avid college football fan. Check her out on her website, and for those crossover readers of romance, her sweet romances are really awesome. And as I said at the beginning, uh, she has a new series that's starting set in Bourbon Falls, Indiana. And then mystery lovers. Have you heard of Mystery Rats Maze podcast? I recently discovered it. It's the thing that I'm listening to as I'm driving across Indiana and every other state that I'm in. Lori Lewis Ham and Kings River Life magazine brings you the mystery short stories and first chapters of novels. Um, they're read and brought to life by local authors, not authors, actors. They're written by authors too, but it's the actors that are different from our podcast. Um, listen to the episodes and subscribe to the podcast. The link to their websites and to the show is in the show notes. Which brings us to the wrap-up. Please do support our show by subscribing, telling a mystery lover about us, and giving us a five-star review. Check out our website, tgwolf, that's W-O-L-F-F dot com forward slash podcast for links to this season's authors. Mysteries to Die For is hosted by T.G. Wolf and Jack Wolf. When in Doubt, Blame the Jackass was written by Kira Jacobs. Music and production are by Jack Wolf and episode art is by T.G. Wolf. And I'm going to peek into my magic thing here and tell you that we will be back next week for a toe tag, fresh release of a, the first chapter of a fresh release. And then after that, we are going to be back with episode seven. One of our favorite writers, Ken Harris, is going to be back with his take on Jack, which is live free or die jacking. <laughs> See everyone next week. Bye-bye. Take us out, Jack. <laughs>